Oh, it's Brahms and Modern Gods. I'm John. Santa John. Hello. Hi, and I'm this Mary Elf Richard. <laughs> You're not my elf. You're co-Santa. Come on. Co-Santa. Okay. Give us a gift. Gift of love. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. And Richard, what can they do if they're watching us on YouTube to show their Christmas holiday, whatever you you celebrate appreciation? You can merrily slap that like button and hit the hit the notification bell. So when we act the fool, you'll be notified. Jesus Christ was born on this day. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, you know what we do. We got some viewer mail. We got some really interesting underrated books of the week this week. We have 25-year-old, maybe a little bit more in that area. And, of course, our hot book of the week. But first, we have a new sponsor, Richard. Do we not? We sure do. It's a great sponsor. In fact, I'm going to let Richard in a different shirt, take it away. <laughs> Hi everybody, Richard from Browns and Modern Gods. I want to talk to you about a new app that's available in the Google Store and the App Store. It's called Wakum. Uh, Wakum lets me scan UPC codes off of comics and automatically add them to my collection. Boom. Simple as that. Really intuitive way of being able to grow your collection. You can also mark books as being read and also see books you haven't read yet so you know where you are in your reading habits. Wakum automatically will notify you as new books come out for what you have in your collection so you can keep up to date with the current issues of your favorite stories. And I love this part. I can follow my friends and even see what John is collecting and reading. You're in total control. You can have it as simple as just scanning the books and leaving it at that. Or if you want to add all kinds of metadata like the grade of the book or anything else you want to track, it can handle keeping track of all the information you want. So again, go to your favorite application store, the App Store, or the Google Play Store, and download Wakum today. Thanks. Wakum, you say? Yeah. Download it. Go to the App Store. Get it. Excellent. All right. Let's check out something you can add to Wakum this week, our hot book of the week. Richard, what is it? Our hot book this week is Back to the Future Number 1, the Z-Box edition. Uh, this is anybody who's seen Back to the Future, the movie, has seen the um, the uh, sports book that Biff uses to become a millionaire. Well, this book is a um, replica, at least the cover of it is a replica of that sports book. I have coveted this thing for a while. This particular book, though, there was, there's a, uh, a signed book, a signed 9.8 copy. It was signed by Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd, Leah Thompson, and Tom Wilson, the guy who played Biff, it sold for $10,000 on eBay this past week. That is monumental. It had a list price of $15,000, but it sold for ten. dollars uh, And that's what's amazing. This book in 2018 sold for $1,050, so a, a tenfold increase in value in the span of just a few years. It sold in 2018? Yes, that was the last sale. There's very few books. According to the seller, there's only 200 books uh, produced for this particular variant. I wasn't I wasn't able to verify that, but there are only um, there are only 96 books on the census. It, wow, that is crazy. Uh, I, I I think it's cool. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> uh, it, it sounds really cool. I I love that he actually got. 
Biff to sign it as well. I mean, that's that's the money shot right there. Well, yeah, you know, reason why I picked this. First of all, um, the the nine point eight, the regular nine point eight, the blue label, sold for five hundred and two dollars uh, for last sale. So there's a huge value in those signatures. You know, you've got the four principles. Well, let's say three principles from the from the movie, and then Biff. I'd say all four, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're missing uh, Crispin Glover, but that's understandable. That's true. Oh my goodness, yes, definitely. <laughs> he sued the producers for you know uh, <laughs> using a fake actor in, in three, I think, because uh, he wouldn't sign on for three. Uh, I think whoever earned this ten thousand dollars absolutely earned it because is this magazine sized? Uh, no, as far as I know, it's comic book oh. sized. Oh, I was going to say, if it was magazine size, they had to wait forever for it to get slapped in return because magazine turnaround times are so awful. Well, if if I remember correctly, this book was not not all four uh, actors signed it on the same visit. So somebody oh. had to, to get this book cracked and then and then regraded. So every time somebody signed it, they were probably biting their fingernails. And witness. That- they had to pay for the witness. Um, um, every, uh, for blanking on the word you know what i guys know what i mean it is verification all right. that stuff right wow. every Damn. single time so yeah i mean it's it's it was well earned i feel the ten thousand dollars still though this is somebody who loved this book more than just a comic book they have a connection to the movie as well do you have any idea what a z box is i have no idea <laughs> i was hoping that you had some idea it's not quite an Xbox. It's it's three <laughs> places behind an Xbox. It's a C box. I wonder if it's like some sort of freebie, uh, you know, like a box you get every like a geek box or something. Anybody oh. in the comments, please shout it. Let us. Yeah, know. maybe it's like Skybox. You know how they do that. True. Okay, time for the main topic. But well, hold on a second before we get to the main topic. I want to talk about the Heritage auction that just ended on Sunday, uh, December eleventh, yesterday. Um. I was. Fo- Were you following anything this time? Uh, not this time. Not this particular auction. No. I was following a group of uh, golden age, uh, timely Captain America comics. Mm-hmm. You know, later uh, issues, all in the seventies, because those are. I'm fascinated by that era of Captain America. It was on its last legs. You know, it was reduced to I think quarterly publication at that point. They were trying anything and everything, and like from issue seventy through issue 75 when it got canceled for the first time they were doing all these kind of weird fantasy horror element kind of things so in this auction there were copies of captain america's weird tale 74 which is Mm -hmm. all of you know i've been coveting for a long time since i sold my 2.5 back in the uh, bus days of 2010 and a captain america weird tales number 75 all right the Cap 74, it's a CGC 5.0. It sold for $14,400, including the buyer's fees, okay? Okay, including fees, okay. Including fees, so 14000 plus. That was a 5.0. A 4.5 in June of this year, just a few short months ago, six short months ago, sold for $19,200. Wow. This is truly the dip. A, a, a half step grade lower sold for almost $5,000 more six months ago. This, whoever got this 5.0, congratulations. You got a <laughs> screaming deal. I wish I had deeper pockets because I would have gone for it. You know, I was, I was kind of like hate watching it. I had no. <laughs> 
you know, I had no real, you know, appetite to go this far. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, that's, that's some hefty pocket change there. But, um, you know, this, this is one of those books I think is going to retain value. I mean, it's, it's buying in at this point. You say that though, but it just went down 5k for a lower grade copy. Yeah. You know, I I mean, long-term like any stock, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to grow. Sure. Right. I think we, we are, we have this false impression that, that, um, past June, uh, the comic book boom were, were real realistic prices. I think some of the prices just got, you know, inflated and mm-hmm. they are settling back down to a normal. So while it may have sold for a lot more in the past, you know, in that window, I mm-hmm. think the prices that we're getting to now, I think are probably more normalized and we'll see them continue along that line. I don't think we'll ever hit the point where, you know, think about it. We had two stimulus checks in a row. We had an economy economy that was booming. People were willing to spend money. Don't forget, people were also locked up in their houses with nothing to do. So you're saving on gas because you're not commuting Mm -hmm. for most of us. Uh, There was a lot of weirdness going on. We need another pandemic. Come on. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't mean that. (laughs) Conversely, though, okay, let's talk about number 75, Cap. Weird Tales 75. Cap's not even on the cover. He's not even in the book. Uh, it's all horror stories. A 7.5 sold for $4,080, including the buyer's premium. Now, this book, same grade, last sold in July for $2,640. So this one went way up, mm. almost, uh, mm-hmm. you know, over uh, $1,500 up. So I, I, I don't know. You guys tell me if you, oh, all you, uh, Golden Age people out there, tell me, am I imagining things? Or are there a lot more higher grade copies of Captain America's Weird Tales number 75 than a lot of Golden Age books? Because mm-hmm. I saw Harley E, I think had an 8.5 at Comic-Con. I've seen a couple 7.5s. I think Hiram had one on mm-hmm. Instagram. There's a lot of, either it's the same copy that's trading a lot of hands or there's a few of them out there. What do you think of this one going up? Oh, that's, I, I, you know, two data points does not a uh, statistical, <laughs> we need more, more data points. So I it's difficult you. to say something can be an outlier. Uh, either one could be an outlier, to be honest with you. That's but, true. Uh, I, you know, I, these books, I think, again, are blue chip books. So buy in where you feel comfortable, because over the long term, you, you can potentially make a good profit. Now, if between so, seventy four and seventy five, which one would you pick? Oh God, I'd love a seventy four. It's, I mean, okay. it's Cap. Cap's on the cover. Red Skull's on the cover. Uh, it's just there's no contest when it comes to the cover. What do I think is more attainable that I can actually own again? Seventy five. I think I can own. I'm not. I wouldn't want slash need a seven point five of seventy five. Mm-hmm. Although the numerologist in me thinks that's very cool. Seven, five, seven, five. Um, I'd be happy with a five Oh or a six or something like that really? for a couple. Yeah. Okay. Well, Christmas is right around the corner. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Santa Richard. Uh, no, do not spend that money. Uh, Hey, uh, it's time for your favorite segment and mine. Viewer mail. You've got mail. Richard, start us off, please. Uh, first one is from our friend of the show, Greg McPherson. Hi, Greg. Hey, Greg. Um, 
uh, ASM, the ASM 121 foils you had were fantastic. They, oh my goodness, I could not find my 121, but I did find um, my some of my other little mole foils. They are absolutely gorgeous. Here is here is a gorgeous copy. And it's hard to tell foils over over the computer. Uh, was 316. Here's ASM 300. You can see the beautiful reflections there in that foil. Then I've got um, this one from last week. Oh, nice. Okay, that's the that's the purple foil one, which goes more than for than the the uh, normal one. These are just gorgeous books. Oh, you got you've got your one eighty one. Huh? Are you talking about this one right here? Yeah, that is gorgeous. It's each one of those uh, each one of those portraits has its own separate uh, foil background. It is just an absolute gorgeous cover. Yeah, I'm trying to get it to catch the light. There, you can see a dead woman walking. <laughs> If you get a chance to, to pick up any of these uh, Mexican foils, I would highly, highly, highly recommend it. I think they're Hey, if you well. uh, go to La Mole in March, I, there's a Sandman number one foil for uh, pre uh, for people that buy tickets ahead of time, VIP tickets. I believe there's a Batman one coming as well. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, there's a, there's a few. They always have a few. You always want to get the VIP. Buy the VIP because you get a few different um, – foil variants and for your dollar that you can flip and pay for your trip basically um, <laughs> the way we did it <laughs> somebody's done that two years in a row what can i say uh, my first piece of viewer mail is from another friend of the show bronzeville comics who writes uh in reference to our shock dismay continuing shock and dismay of alfred being dead in the current continuity of batman DC has not addressed how Batman is dealing without Alfred around to clean up his messes. I can only imagine <laughs> all the empty pizza boxes and beer cans that are lying around Wayne Manor. Who does the bat laundry? Can't imagine him sending his clothes out to a cleaner's. Does Bruce food shop or just use a delivery app? Is he doing the DoorDash? The questions <laughs> are endless. You know, I, I this it's funny, Bronzeville. I get it. There's humor. But if you're going to do this whole realistic approach, you know, you're going to, it, it seems like they really want to have their cake and eat it too. It's right. like, it's realistic. You know, we want you to think about the logistics here. Uh, we, we, you know, in the old days, no one really cared about this stuff. We just accepted it suspension of disbelief, but now we want you to care about logistics. Okay. You made us care about logistics. How is all this happening now? Right. But then meanwhile, over here, you've got Batman on the moon being a god or whatever. I, you know, I've been, I'm reading stuff that's going on in Batman, and I'm just like, well, how did we get here uh, so far askance? But, you know, it is what it is. But great, great point. My next piece is from uh, John Doe 297. Uh, he says, Richard, I am surprised you missed the boobless reference on the Harley Quinn cover. Took me back to the calculator days. I, I as soon as you said calculator days, I knew exactly what you meant. And when I went back and I looked, we're talking about Harley Quinn number 13, the, the Adam Hughes cover that we talked about the previous show. And oh man, I totally missed it. <laughs> we both did. And the only I, in the live, live chat during the premiere last week, someone brought it up and I was like, oh, we both totally 
glossed oh, over. Oh man, I totally missed it. Thank you so much for bringing it to my attention. That that is that is a cool Easter egg. Yes, indeed. Uh, good job, Adam Hughes, for making us laugh. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out if the words are an anagram for something too, or not an anagram, but uh, jumbled, scrambled. Something, yeah. Trying to figure that out. If you, anybody's unlocked that secret or what those mean, let let us know. I just burped on a <laughs> show. You know, leave it in because we're we're we're, we're just raw. like. We're just like you. Uh, my next piece of viewer mail is from Flush Jackson, who is commenting on my uh, my comment about how art is just so low rent on the interiors. You get a great, beautiful Adam Hughes cover and then just something slapdash inside, which, you know, it's nothing new. We used to get Gil Kane covers in the 70s and you'd open up, there's Don Heck. Um, <laughs> Flush, sorry, Don Heck. Uh, Flush Jackson writes, you can tell when things are digital slapdash, and there's a lot of it being published in modern comics. The big publishers are fine with it because you can get cheap labor to just pump it out. It only hurts the artist if they don't have the original art as a byproduct of their hard work. Artists are still working on Bristol, but there's no one way of doing it. Some people pencil digitally, print out the blue lines, and ink it traditionally, while others pencil ink traditionally on Bristol which is scanned for the colorist and publishing process. It takes a great digital artist and just as much time uh, at the Cintiq as you'd spend at the table to do it traditionally, essentially to get enough of an organic look that tricks the human brain. Traditional art is where it's at for me. Amen, flush. Uh, but there are two different skills, and to make good art on both sides takes time, technique, and a high level of craft. I agree. I do think there's some... Like you say, uh, digital slapdash where it's like, get it out the door. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I go to those shows and I go to the original art booths and I've not seen a lot of modern art being posted up for sale. Yeah, yeah that's a byproduct of this. We They don't have that to fall back on. I, I just don't see us ever having another kingdom come level of, you know, handcrafted art. Um it's it's we've we've entered a world where digital art is prominent because you can do it faster you can you can uh produce more uh within a given window and it's easier to edit mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of advantages to digital art and i'm not you know i hate to sound like you know we're dissing people who prefer to work in digital art because not not everyone takes shortcuts when it comes to digital art. You know, there are you and I are the furthest thing from Luddites, I'd have to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear what you're saying. But um, I just have to, you know, I, I think that the physical arts, working on working on uh, Bristol Board and doing that has more advantages to the artist than it does to the publisher. I mean, the artist gets to keep their original artwork, can, can resell that original artwork and we've seen the aftermarket for that for that art just explode over the past few years and that is an an avenue you know uh, you know you've got artists like um neil adams his estate is sitting on a gold mine in my opinion of his artwork that they could sell over a period of time and it's 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 something that a digital artist can't fall back on yeah it's a shame uh you know, I, I don't think penciling on digital and then printing it out blue line is quite the same. I guess if you're doing inks over it yourself, 
you know, but if you're sending it to Joe Rubenstein to do it, uh, I don't know. I, it, it's a great discussion flush. Thank you for, yeah. uh, for writing that. Um, Richard, what do you got here? What is this? <laughs> My next piece is from blue ocean. Uh, and this was talking about how, uh, well, I got news for you. It didn't go over well in North America either when Marvel killed off Gwen Stacy. And we're, <laughs> we're talking about uh, in, you know, in, in this book where uh, the Mexican version of the story, Gwen, Gwen and Peter get married. Um, yeah. You know, John, do you do you recall that 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 time when? when oh, sure. Oh, it, it was it was fan outrage. You're absolutely right. Blue Ocean. I think Blue Ocean correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're responding to my comment where I said Gwen Stacy was not essential. Uh, I I didn't mean nobody cared when Gwen died. Obviously people cared. There was fan outrage in the press. You read some of those old comic readers uh, in the letters pages and the fanzines are hysterical. Um, Stan, obviously Stan Lee was really upset um, because he had to go out and do convention speaking dates and he was continually assaulted, not physically, but, you know, from questions about how could you kill Gwen Stacy? How could you allow this? That's where the clone saga came from because Stan said, bring her back. I don't care how, how, what you do, just bring her back in some way, shape or form because I'm tired of getting asked this. Um, But my point was she wasn't essential to the character of Spider-Man like mm-hmm. Mary Jane or uh, Aunt May is. That was my point. Uh, yeah, people did not like it when Gwen was killed, much like people didn't like it when Jean Grey was killed. The right. first time. The first time. The first time. Yeah, that's the thing about comic book deaths. You know, they, they tend not to stick. Yeah. By the way, spoiler alert. Uh, my next piece of <laughs> is from uh, Timothy Markin, who... Uh, it writes about a lot of stuff we've talked about, starting with Gem, Son of Saturn. Uh, Paul Levitz, the publisher, uh, former publisher and president of DC Comics, told us exclusively here, breaking news, that Gem, <laughs> Son of Saturn was the single lowest selling newsstand comic book in DC Comics history. Timothy writes, I tried reading all 12 issues of Gem, Son of Saturn a couple of years ago, and I believe I got to issue four before I gave up. And no, Low print runs mean nothing if there's no demand. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. If I recall, Marvel's lowest print run comic, or at least at one time, was a very odd prestige format series called Street Poet Ray, which I have all the issues of Street Poet Ray, by the way. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> have you heard of Street Poet Ray, Richard? I have not heard of Street Poet Ray. No, I haven't. There was a guy who was a street poet named Ray who used to have street poetry and he knew someone in Marvel and got them to publish a comic book of his street poetry drawn oh set to drawings. Uh, what? Um, let's get back to this email. Uh, even with an incredibly low print run, there is zero demand. Uh, all contraire, Timothy. I wanted street poet Ray complete. Uh, this was a non-returnable direct sales book though. I'd love to know what Marvel's lowest selling newsstand comic was. Me too curious uh also jm dematias's name pronunciation i always pronounce the name dematias so do i obviously however my late wife worked in a doctor's office and one of the neurologists had that same last name and he pronounced it dematis i can't say for sure how the writer pronounced his own name but dematis is one way all right jm dematias let us know (laughs) 
<laughs> Please. Uh, let me do my next piece of your mail too, because I want I want to crack you up. Um, okay. We were talking about the villain in that Harley Quinn 13 comic that you talked about earlier with the Adam Hughes cover, mm-hmm. uh, who her the villain's shtick was to scoop the eyeballs out of criminals. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Called themselves a verdict. Rumpel Foreskin, our good friend Rumpel Foreskin, writes, Verdict? How about ice cream? That is a great name. That's along the lines of Stabitha. Yeah, I love it. Much more apropos <laughs> for that character. Rumpel Foreskin, you need to be uh, you need to be writing Harley Quinn, I think. I think you should work on the next Snyder movie. There you go. Ice cream. <laughs> All right, Richard, what is your next piece of your mail? Uh, my next piece is from Kilted Corgi, which I love that name. Um, shall we expand to a 40-year rule? Because you know we are as old as F. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. We are. Uh, well, Richard, is it time for the, the 40-year rule? <laughs> I don't have a cool graphic for this one. So let's just yeah. get right into it. The old fart rule is when we look at books from 40 years ago, all the way back to the year 1902. No, 1982. In 1982. Uh, and Richard, what is our old fart rule for this week? Okay. Well, you got to remember, 1982, I was a junior in high school, and uh, I had much more hair. And it wasn't as gray at the time. Back then, one of my favorite books to read, which I, it was a window, was Frank Miller. I, I really love Frank Miller, specifically his Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil number 181 from 1982 was to me just on fire. This is the book that featured the death of Electra. She died fighting Bullseye, who escaped from prison in the most idiotic way I can think of. Let's let's let there let's let's interview him in his costume and uh, give him access to things. And he breaks out and he uh, ends up in this awesome fight scene. And the thing about this book, if you've seen the artwork in it, um, there are some very very dynamic fight scenes. Not a lot of dialogue during the fight. Um, there is a lot of back and forth, a lot of action, and it's you know it's you know nail biting action throughout the entire book and it culminates it it you know it um reaches its zenith when um bullseye stabs electra in the chest and lifts her off of the ground and i can remember and there's no dialogue it is just that and then panels after that is is electra stumbling away it is i can still remember reading this and just being taken aback because Electra was a very, very important character to, to Daredevil. Um, and just, just the emotions that Frank Miller was able to convey in those panels was just amazing for 17 year old me. Uh, and afterwards, when, when, uh, Daredevil found out what happened and now Daredevil is fighting, um, a bullseye, uh, same thing, just dynamic panels, back and forth action. You could feel the energy in the story. And um, it was just amazing. Uh, 
to me, this is one of the best piece of work. And, and I'm a big fan of Frank Miller in general. Um, but this is one of my favorite pieces of his work because to me at the time, it was so impactful. When's the last time you read it? I read it right before this, uh, doing this interview, this, this, uh, this okay. segment. Nothing jumps out at you rereading it 40 years later. Jumps out in terms of I, maybe I'm, I'm I, again, it's that whole, if you're going to be super hyper realistic, get ready for mm-hmm. people to start punching holes and things. Um, a bullseye stabs Electra. She stumbles around the city to go to Matt Murdoch's apartment. Go to the emergency room. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a good point. You think she would just say, "Somebody call the ambulance," right? You know, um, I'm going to walk her down five. Or, you know, you know what a New York City block is, right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's going to walk a few blocks to Matt's brownstone and collapse. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, yeah, let's help, you know, keep his secret identity too, you know? Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not here to ruin the story for you guys. It is a great story. It just cracks me up when I read it today. No, it's, you know, you know, if you think about the kinds of stories that were being told back in 1982, this was just such a powerful story told in an expert way. And I, I really, I, you know, I was a big fan of, um, of Dark Knight. And that storyline, Sin City, they are th- those were very powerful works for me for uh, Frank Miller. But this book was just the culmination. And I, I, I can, like I said, I can still remember the fight scene, and I could feel the anger in, Dare- in Daredevil as he's fighting Bullseye. And even after, even after all the th- that happened, he tries to save Bullseye at the end. And, you know, he's he, he oh, oh. You know, if you haven't read it by now, then I'm sorry. He um, slipped. He did. Well, the question is, did he slip or did he did he let go? Because he did not want to be rescued. He slipped. Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> anyway, this book, I have no idea how this book is so um, inexpensive. 9.8s are going for about $181. Perfect. Um, Again, numerology. Yeah. <laughs> Newsstand <laughs> is 518. Uh, you know, the. Part of the it may be because there are a lot of books out there. There's a total of sixty three hundred books graded uh, on the census, and that's just CGC. I didn't look CPCS. Uh, Sixteen hundred of them are nine point eight, so it's not not a rare rare book. But I think this the the importance to, to the Daredevil mythos is this is one of the key books in in that whole um, that whole arc. This run was transformative for comics as an industry because it really showed the power of the creative the writer artist coming into the fore where you can take a moribund book like daredevil that was down to bi-monthly frequency you know borderline cancel uh territory and this guy was given carte blanche you know after a few issues with roger mckenzie to take over the entire book write and draw it, put his vision on it and bring it to the top of the charts within a few short years, not even four years, I think a full run. And then we saw it repeat itself with Walt Simonson on Thor, mm-hmm. John Byrne on Fantastic Four. You know, this was, this was a real trailblazer in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you know, I know I'm being super snarky and, and being picky <laughs> when I, go back and read it and I shouldn't. It's it's a great book. It's a great run. The whole the whole Frank Miller run. Last few issues not so much in that first run. Mm-hmm. But first uh, to the death of Electra, then after that 
you know. Yeah, I agree. Um, but but the, you know the whole Electra saga was just amazing, and um, it it set. To be honest with you, it it was one of the first times I took notice of an artist and a storyteller's name, and mm -hmm. sought out books by Frank Miller after this. Yeah. Um, I, it was that impactful. I do want to give a shout out to Claus Jansen too because he added so much to the art with his inking style and all that zip tone and the shading and the dark areas. Uh, it's all claws. All right. Um, gosh, the old fart rule, 40 year rule. <laughs> I thought it was appropriate because, you know, like I said, that's, that's when I was a, a teen. Um, yes. And that makes, you know, I can, I can remember the important books from my, my childhood. And uh, so 40 years, 40 years ago, what do you guys think? Should we ditch the 25 year rule and stick with the 40 year rule and go from there? Or should we keep going with the 25 year rule? <laughs> yes, there's still a <laughs> this week. We are talking about, hear me out, Youngblood Super Special, number one. Now, before y'all freak out, I know, Youngblood, but. This was written by Eric Stevenson and drawn by the incredible Chris Sprouse. Chris Sprouse. Richard, you might remember him from his run on Legionnaires. Legion, maybe, in the 90s, perhaps? That blank stare? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. Chris Sprouse was also drawing the excellent Supreme at the same time, which, as we know from listening to this podcast, several mentions of that run. It was a legendary run with Alan Moore, Richard's favorite comics personality uh outside of frank miller i'm actually <laughs> curious about this super special i've never read it i've never seen it but it apparently takes place in parallel with a mini series that alan moore was doing that reimagined all the liefeld image character universe the liefeld verse it was called judgment day i remember reading that i remember thinking it was a really good way of reapproaching all these characters and resetting everything uh so i'm curious uh the young blood super special you know it's not going to set you back you can get it for two or three dollars on ebay looking at the last few sales have any of you guys read this book i'm, I'm really curious let me know in the comments is it worth tracking down or am i going to waste my time i have to admit i never read young blood uh period there's no reason to uh except for the short alan moore stories that were done around the late 90s during awesome comics and maximum press okay. you still haven't read supreme yet have you no i haven't you i would say read supreme first you'll be blown away by supreme remember you know we were just talking about superman the the man of tomorrow by alan right. moore mm -hmm. imagine three years worth of that wow okay that's what you got you okay. know it's really good. They should have really just handed Superman over to Alan Moore. Uh, hey, it's time for our underrated books of the week. Richard, what you got? My pick this week is The Mighty Avengers, a number 66 from 1966. This is the first appearance or the first mention of Adamantium. Mm. It was used in uh, Ultron's armor, which who was a part of uh, this particular issue. And this was pre-Wolverine. So, you know, we've already got Wolverine confirmed for the MCU, so we know he's coming. They are going to have to explain, for people who didn't see any of the Fox stuff, 
what adamantium is. It's not vibranium. It's a something different. So, you know, it's, this, this is an important issue in, in, in my opinion. And, you know, and, and adamantium is, is one of those materials, you know, that is used for a number of different characters. Uh, Lady Deathstrike also had adamantium skeleton. Uh, Sabretooth had adamantium um, interspersed in his, his bones. Um, it was used in a lot of other cases. Uh, uh, Cap's shield was made with a combination of adamantium and vibranium. Uh, so it, it's it's an important part of you know the the Marvel Marvel mythos. So this particular book is is in my opinion really inexpensive for a a Silver Age uh, Marvel. Let's call it minor key. Uh, last sale, which was in 2020, for a 9.8 was $1,250 for a 9.8. Um, there are 12 9.8s on the census, 100 or 429 books total on the census. Um, Books in the lower end of the scale are, are much more uh, reasonable. You can get a raws from fifty to sixty bucks on eBay's if you uh, eBay if you want. So I think this is a this is a nice book to pick up, especially um, given how affordable it is. It's crazy because adamantium used to be in the Marvel universe it used to be so scarce. Uh, it was like you know it wasn't found a lot, is so you had to extract it from other things i remember mm -hmm. some stories like that uh i remember remember the marvel superheroes role-playing game oh yeah yeah remember if you wanted adamantium bones or something you had to roll a 20 on a 20-sided <laughs> die that was i think i think i'm remembering that correctly it was because it was supposed to be scarce yeah oh god, god. You, you mentioned that i haven't thought of that forever Right? Well, scarce, scarce like kryptonite scarce, right? It's yeah, scarce exactly. <laughs> as long as it needs to be scarce. <laughs> as scarce as young blood number ones. Uh, all right. My uh, underrated book of the week is uh, uh, a deep cut. Tales to Astonish number 82. This issue with, of course, you know, a split book with the Hulk and Submariner. This issue is famous for the legend that surrounds it. Now, in the Submariner story, Gene Colan, of course, regular penciler, started the, the draw this issue. And two pages down, he gets the flu and is going to wow. miss this deadline, right? Jack Kirby was, of course, uh, ushered in to help make this deadline and apparently finished the story over a long weekend. Just cranked <laughs> out these pages. I'm not sure if it was this deadline pressure or the freedom to just go nuts over this basic 12 page fight scene between Namor and Iron Man. But this art is amazing. It's just bristling with energy. And it's funny. I was looking at it again today and you can really see in this art job, the seeds, I'm going to make a real bold statement right now. You can see the seeds of the image comics approach. You've oh, got really? This, yeah. You've got these huge panels, these huge figures, fight scene you can see eric larson you can see rob liefeld in these pages uh it's just some of jack's i feel best work it's just super primal right down to the fundamentals of what made jack's art and it's just a great if you've never seen this issue check it out uh it's just amazing you're just gonna look at it and go geez um <laughs> It's kind of affordable too. If you really want to go high grades, I don't think you need to go high grades on this unless you really just love this book. The most recent high grade sale was for a 9.6 in June of this year. Or sorry, in June of 2021. 
a year and a half ago for $750. This, I think it goes without saying, is one of my favorite Jack Kirby art jobs of all time. I don't know what happened. Uh, just, you know, he was just either just felt freedom to get it done and just went nuts on the board or what, but it, you've got to see this. I love this book. Tales to Astonish 82. Excellent. Now I've, I've not, I've not read it before, but I know how much of a Jack Kirby fan you are. And if you say this is some of his exemplary work, then it, that really means something. It's just crazy. I, I, I really am curious about the deep story behind this. If anybody knows, uh, Leave it in the comments. Maybe we'll get Mark Avanier on here one day to tell us his assistant uh, in the early 70s. Maybe he knows more about it, but it's just a really cool book. And on that pulse-pounding, action-packed note, we are going to wrap it up for this week. Richard, remind everybody where they can find us on Facebook and Instagram. They can find us at Bronze and Modern Gods on Facebook and Instagram, or they can find us at the website, bronzeandmoderngods.com. If you like this, please show your support by hitting like. And if you haven't subscribed yet, we would love that. It really helps us with the algorithm and helps us reach more people. We are close to 5,000 subscribers. I'd love to see us make that milestone before the end of the year. That'd be awesome. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dad. Richard, <laughs> we will see you next time, all right? Yep. And everybody, stay safe.